what do you want to do if you want to become the fittest 50-year-old, you know, or 40-year-old or 60-year-old or any year old? I don't really care. We're going to find out by someone who's exploring that for herself, but is much more than that on today's episode of The Movement Movement, the podcast for people who want to know the truth about what it takes to have a happy, healthy, strong body starting feet first, typically, because, you know, those things are your foundation. And we break down the propaganda, the mythology, and frankly, the lies that you're often told about what it takes to run or walk or play or do yoga or CrossFit or be a ninja warrior, hint, hint, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Um, and to do that enjoyably and effectively and efficiently and did I mention enjoyably? It's a trick question. Don't answer. I know I did because if you're not having fun, you're not going to keep it up anyway. So make sure you're having fun. And I'm Stephen Sashman from ZeroShoes.com, host of the Movement Movement uh, podcast. We call it that because we're creating a movement around natural movement, letting your body do what it's designed to do, not getting in the way. And the way you can participate it's easy. It's cheap. In fact, it's free. Go to www.jointhemovement.com. Nothing to do to join. There's no secret handshake. There's no fee. Just that's where you're going to find all the previous episodes, all the ways you can interact with us on social media, and all the ways that you can help us by leaving a review, giving us a thumbs up, uh, five-star rating in the places you can do that. I mean, you know the drill. If you want to be part of the tribe, please subscribe. So let us jump in. Jesse Graff. Hey, babe, how are you? I'm great, but I have a quick question. Um, could we come up with like a secret handshake that it's not mandatory? Like you don't have to do it to get in, but if you're in, anyone who wants to be in gets gotta, to learn it. Got to do this. But like, can it be like a like a kicking thing? You know, um, like kick, kick. Well, we got to make it. I mean, I'm all for it as long as it's something that humans can do who are not, you know, ninja warrior. People. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Right. Okay. All right, we'll I'll, have to I'll think that. about it and we'll work on it in, you know, in a, you know, in a couple you know weeks. The, do you know the dance troupe Palabolus? Yeah, yeah, they're awesome. Like circusy stuff, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's I mean, my favorite thing that I say about Palabolus is I don't know which I like better when I watch them perform, when I can see the physics of what they're doing or I can't see the physics of what they're doing because what they do is amazing. And um, we work with them. Uh, they just made a video for us that's really, really fun. So they'd be great people to come up with a wacky secret handshake, too. We'll have to someday yeah. we'll get you and me together with the gang from Palabolus and do some ridiculous things. Ooh, that sounds amazing. Where are yeah. they based? Um, on the East Coast. And I was literally, oh. I just remembered, like last night when I was going to bed, I was literally imagining something as a 60-year-old not dancer, what I could do that would be contributing to what they do. Because there's some mm -hmm. strength things that I can do that are still pretty crazy that um, like, you know, human flag kind of thing. But to do a human flag with a person is very entertaining instead of being on a pole and something. Mm -hmm. Anyway, we'll, we'll work with Palabolus one day. Yeah, that'd be a hoot. Cool. So, Hey, Jess, okay. for mm -hmm. humans who don't know who you are, because there are still some, why don't you tell people who you are and what you do? Sure. Um, I've been a stunt woman for 16 years. I work on a lot of like really fun superhero shows and, of course, you know, getting beat up and killed and abused, as we do in stunts. Uh, but I've also been competing on American Ninja Warrior for, I guess I started like nine years ago or something. Uh, and I've beaten a lot of records and placed high among the men and ninja warrior is like the most fun thing ever so i am <laughs> i am so bummed that that didn't exist when i was oh no, yeah yeah except uh, i'll ask you this so mm -hmm. one of the reasons that i'm not you know a total ninja warrior kind of person even now to the extent that i could be is so much of the stuff that's in there is grip strength dependent mm -hmm. and that sure. ain't my thing and um yet so i imagine it was not originally your thing either no 
No. Yeah. They used to always say like the rock climbers had a huge advantage because they're the ones just that train grip strength right. all the time. Right. Um, and yeah, for me, when I started, I, I saw these guys doing like, we call it a cliffhanger. So it's like maybe an inch and a half ledge where you're just going along this way and you swing and do gaps. And initially, like I saw the cliffhanger and was like, people can't do that. Why? Why? And then they all did it. And I was like, Oh, okay. Well, that must be easier than it looks. And so I got on one and was like, Nope, definitely feels impossible. I'm not sure how that's happening, but if they're humans and they can do it, like I'm made the same way, I should be able to do it too. And it's just, it's so interesting when you discover a muscle group, even as an athlete, just a muscle group that you haven't activated. Right. That you haven't taught how to fire at high levels. And so, you know, it took it took at least a year of like really, really training that to be able to start performing at a high level. And then, you know, a, a long term commitment to building. And now I'm trying to be more scientific about it so that I can continue getting gains after so many years of training it. But yeah, it's it's there's there's so many, I think, adults who will try a certain exercise and and not know how to fire the muscles and think there's something wrong with them or that they won't be able to do it. And it's just, it's so empowering to understand that that's normal and that's how that works. And it's just like a kickstart process of having to teach those muscles how to fire and then they can grow dramatically and you'll be able to do things that seem impossible initially. Well, there's another part to that that I find interesting, and this is going to lead into eventually our conversation about becoming the fittest 50-year-old woman or person or et cetera, et cetera, but, <laughs> which is just the training on some new strength, whether it's something as simple as a squat or something like the cliffhanger. The, I'm trying to think of how to frame this. I can't think of how to ask the question, so let me describe it this way. Okay. One of my favorite exercises, and it's a really important one for sprinters, is the Nordic hamstring curl. And so for people who don't know it, you're kneeling, your feet are being held down, and you keep your body as straight as possible, barely in a little bit of hip bend, and you just lower yourself slowly. So you're just hinging at your knees, lowering yourself slowly. Ideally, you know, at first you'll fall on the you'll fall on your face. You'll get to about a 10 degree angle and then fall. And eventually you can get down and get back up. And I worked on this for a while, doing like three sets of eight reps as best as I could do for like three days a week. And I just wasn't making any progress. And then I went down to um, doing five sets of five reps once a week. And within a month, way, way stronger. Now, some of this is because I'm a 60 year old guy. And I think I was, I was doing this about a year or two ago, but when I, but I'm 60 now, and it seems like I just need way more recovery after the right amount of stimulation than I thought mm. by doing three, doing it three times a week, I just wasn't getting enough time to recover and actually right. get stronger. So what did you discover for you, like in the early days when you were doing Ninja Warrior stuff and having to develop new kinds of strength about what worked for you and how has that changed as you've progressed or got, and gotten older? Let's see. Well, my, my initial training strategy when I, when I decided I really wanted to start getting strong was based on giving myself a challenge. Like I'd, I'd test myself, let's say pull-ups or dead hang, since that's Ninja Warrior appropriate. So I'd do as yeah. many pull-ups as I could. And when I started, it was six. And I would hang from a cliffhanger as long as I could. When I started, that was, you know, a couple seconds, three seconds maybe. Right. Um, and so I would, I would do sort of like, you know, it takes about 48 hours to recover from like a really good session where you're going to get sore. If you go overboard, it's going to take longer. But like, if you find that 
that perfect amount of like, you've really pushed yourself, but not killed yourself. Um, you give it 48 hours, you go again. And so I was on this three day cycle where I would go push day, pull day, leg day and pull day was like the big day. Cause that's where I'm training for Ninja. So every set I would be going basically to failure because I'm trying to beat last, last sessions record. So like twice a week, I'm going to failure and I was able to improve really quickly that way. Um, so at the end of that year, I'd gone from six pull-ups to, I think I was at like 22 pull-ups and my dead hang had gone to, I don't know, well over a minute, maybe a minute 30 on this cliffhanger ledge. And at the end of the year, like I had all these amazing gains and then, you know, something went wrong and I got hurt. So I had to take some time off and rebuild and was able to rebuild even faster. Mm. So in like two to three months of, okay, now I'm healthy. Now I can rebuild, getting ready for Ninja three months, I was stronger than ever. So building back up from zero up to 25 pull-ups and two minute dead hang and competed. And then at the end of the year, something happened again. Now I'm injured again. I have to take time off and I lose all the strength and had to have like a, like a stem cell injections and all this stuff. But you know, now crap, I've only got three months to recover and get strong and be ready for next year. So at the end of that, so that season, I built back up. I got up to, I think, 38 pull-ups that year. So it was Holy like moly. I kept getting stronger and I was getting strong so, so fast, but I would always get injured at the end of the year. So season 12, it just like exploded. You know, if, if you think it's bad getting injured at the end of every season, well, this particular season, I tore both shoulders, rotator cuff, rotator cuff plus labrum inferior glenohumeral ligament cartilage. So that's like everything, yeah, not everything, not yeah. <laughs> and my ACL. part of your body. So, use, yeah. <laughs> so at the end of that year, I needed three surgeries, two shoulder surgeries, one knee surgery. And that's, that's a point where you can't work around it. You can't be like, Oh, I'm going to let my upper body recover and get really good at like squats and box jumps and everything. It's no. like, okay, you're just grounded. You're going to do something else with your time. Um, and so I, the first certifications I went after were nutrition and corrective exercise specialization. Um, and the corrective exercise was so amazing. I learned so much about like the type of training I'd been doing and how, you know, I'm doing my push days for maintenance to make sure I don't get unbalanced and I'm doing my pull days to max out and be the strongest I've ever been. Does that sound balanced? <laughs> Like, right. Sure. Right. I'm doing the same number of days on each exercise, but on push days, I'm like making sure I keep up with last week on pull days. I'm trying to beat myself every week. Right. So I could do, you know, 20 push ups, which is maybe average for an athletic woman and 38 pull ups, which is, which is like, superhuman, superhuman, which for is really good for an athletic guy. So it's like yeah. I was obviously unbalanced. My shoulders were like coming way out of alignment. So that means like my pec minor was super tight. Your lat, which pulls down, attaches to the front of your arm. So that's everything's pulling here. Yeah. Everything pulling back was weak because I wasn't training it. So now my shoulders are here. Now your supraspinatus that mm -hmm. comes through like a little a little little tunnel here. Oh wait, I'm gonna when pause. you raise. Yeah, I'm having. Uh -huh. um, so I had an issue with my dog a couple of weeks ago, where another dog tried to attack my dog, and I'm trying to keep that dog away. And I had a thought I've never imagined I would have, which is I might have to kill a dog. 
Um, <laughs> while I'm simultaneously, you know, taking my 35 pound built like a, a tank dog on his leash and trying to like shove him away. Uh, so super spinatus, I know it very well because I tore the crap out of it. And I'm dealing with yeah. all those things that I can't do right now, like all of this mm-hmm. external rotation stuff. External and, rotation hurts. Uh, yeah. yeah. And so anyway, okay, so, so here's the interesting thing about the super spinatus. When you think about tearing a tendon, you think about like overstretching it and it rips, right? That's what I always thought. The supraspinatus actually is when you raise your arm overhead, it's getting shorter. So it's not stretched, but because it goes through this little tunnel, it's getting rubbed. So every time uh-huh. you raise your arm, if you're in good alignment, it just flows through that tunnel. Right. If your shoulders are rolled forward, which so many of us are not just from doing too many pull-ups, but from like typing. Your shoulders are raised, your pecs are getting tight, you're texting, you're hunched over. So now we're out of alignment. So every time you raise your arm, you're getting wear and tear as it like rubs through this little, little tunnel. Now, if you're rubbing like that and weakening this tendon, and then you're also taking huge impacts like we do on Ninja in the wrong alignment, that's where it shears and gets cut. So basically learning about this, learning it's not just about being in the right alignment when I take those impacts, which is important, but it's about doing all these exercises. You know, it's not just about doing enough rows to balance my pull-ups. It's about attacking the rows with the same intensity that I do the pull-ups. Well, that's, so, well I'm curious because, so I've had, look, uh, I know something else about you. You're a former gymnast as am I. And so mm-hmm. gymnasts naturally tend to have overdeveloped pecs, internally rotated shoulders. So, you know, so mm-hmm. to a certain extent, you might've come about that naturally. But when I started, one of the things I started playing with to help my shoulders was doing pull-ups, but really focusing on just getting that mm-hmm. pull part, really getting the back engaged before I did anything with my arms. And it really helped my yeah. shoulders. So yeah. that component too. So I, yes. you know, I mean, it's kind of funny that you're thinking you have to do rows to compensate for what you're doing with pull-ups, which is basically just a row from a different angle. And if if, if you do it, yeah, perspective. So with the with the wait, what was the what was the term you used for what this conditioning was that the you were studying nutrition and what did you call it? Oh, corrective exercise. Okay. It's by um, NASM National Academy of Sports oh, Medicine. Yeah. So yeah, I'm it's, curious. In addition to realize, having that realization about, you know, how you were really attacking pull days, but not push days, did you discover anything else about sort of, you know, the hip bone connected to the knee bone connected to the whatever bone? So there was something else that wasn't necessarily your shoulders that impacted your shoulders or something else where, you know, there was kind of a chain of things that you may have discovered there, where there's some other link in the chain. That was um, yeah, I mean, so many. One interesting one is like I have some uh, some bulging discs in my neck um from stunts over and over of course yeah. but the bulge is that i think it's c c45 is my worst bulge but i have it at c34 as well but the nerve that innervates your diaphragm which is your breathing muscle basically yeah um was the one that's kind of getting pinched occasionally from my from my neck injury right and since my diaphragm was sort of atrophying i was doing most of my breathing with my accessory breathing muscles. Now, if every breath is like this, now my neck muscles are tightening. Right. Which is also pulling my shoulders out of alignment. So 
a neck injury from 2010 slowly changed my posture, which led to a shoulder injury. Well, I'm going to, I love that you said that because the, and part of what made me ask that was something I discovered recently that shocked the mm-hmm. crap out of me. So there's, I did, um, I did a podcast with, um, I just blanked on Aaron McGuire, Aaron, let's definitely Aaron, but I'm blanking on her. I'm not positive on her last name. I'm having a hard time with names lately. One of those 60 year old things. Anyway, she makes a little device. It's a belt. It's called the core 360 belt. So it's basically just a, wait, hold on, I've got it right here. I'm going to show it to you. You have tennis balls in it or you feel like this is really your stomach out and make the cylinder. Yes. Thank you. So, you know, here's the belt. And the whole idea mm-hmm. is it's giving you some feedback. So when you're breathing in, you're making this cylindrical thing pushing down. And what mm-hmm. shocked me is I learned how to breathe that way and actually breathe into my back, expand my back yeah. as I was breathing. My lower back is doing that thing. In between my shoulders was opening up. My shoulders were not rounding forward, but they were doing something where the alignment changed in my shoulders where everything was just hanging better. So mm-hmm. I love that you said, you know, this problem with your neck leading to your diaphragm and what that was doing to your breathing, because I've been playing with how the way I'm changing my breathing is impacting my shoulders in a way mm-hmm. that I never oh, in a million so years much. imagined. Yeah. Uh, that was, that blew me away. So that strikes me as a corrective exercise kind of thing. Yeah. It's my physical therapist is really into that too. Um, she does dynamic, she does dynamic <laughs> neuromuscular stabilization and there's a huge focus on breathing properly. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's a cycle too, because once you start breathing like this, now my neck muscles are getting tighter. So my scalenes were all, always out of control. My sternocleidomastoid, this one was super tight. You could see knots in it. There was like a vein uh, or an artery that you could see that was like bunched up because everything was so bunched up in my neck, which how do you think that felt on my actual neck injury? So I'm like having constant neck pain, which more and more is pulling my shoulders out of alignment. And so it was so interesting when I started trying to breathe properly, you know, if someone says, relax your traps, that's they're very different from force your traps to stay down. So I had to strengthen my lower traps and my um, rhomboids, serratus, serratus oh. anterior and rhomboids, Interesting, but especially serratus anterior and lower traps, because that's what holds your shoulder blades down. Yep. So I couldn't even relaxing. Everything was so tight and overactive here that even if I'm relaxing them, they're just too short to stay down. So I had to actively pull my shoulder blades down and breathe into my stomach. And these muscles, I would get sharp pains on every inhale because they were so tight that they were getting stretched, like actively stretched on every inhale unless I allowed my shoulders to come up. So it was a long process of actively, you know, it's not just relax your your upper traps. It's right. very actively engage your lower traps and that serratus and it was hard and I had to think about it all the time. Yeah. Um, well, cause what, it's, what'll happen is you get into a pattern and then your brain shuts off the awareness to those things that are tight because it mm-hmm. just gets a loop and you don't need to pay attention and just building that, the neural connections to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. That's one part. But the other part that I love that you're describing and people misunderstand this quite a bit is the relationship between strength and flexibility where they think flexibility is learning to stretch a muscle rather than one important factor of being strong in the opposing direction. So they think that doing the splits is about stretch, just stretching instead of learning how, I don't know if you ever did this. When I was in gymnast mode, I'd sit on the floor with my legs straddled as much as I could and just lift my feet off the ground 
and just, you know, mm-hmm. worked on basically the quad part of pulling my legs up, which is what allowed mm-hmm. me to split. So it wasn't from getting more f- stretching the muscles. It was from getting stronger in the direction that I was trying to go. And people don't yeah. think about that. Yeah. At least on like a split leap. Um, yeah. Like when I worked on switch leaps, right. I had to work really actively on contracting my hamstring on the back leg. Cause I could like, I could get my front leg up high, but when you're going like switch, switch, right. Like I wasn't hitting a split cause my back leg would just drop. And so I'd get on the parallel bars and kick my legs and really feel how I had to squeeze my glute and my hamstring super dynamically to like follow the momentum and like snap it upward so I could hit that split. I've never thought of this, nor have I ever thought to ask anyone about this, but I remember, so in the, when I was getting out of gymnastics, I was doing ballet and I stopped doing ballet mostly because after a couple of weeks, I couldn't find pants that fit me. My legs just blew up. Um, so, uh, so it was problematic. Screw pants. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I also I wear shorts I, all the time. <laughs> well, I was in North Carolina. It was winter. So, um, but uh, I remember doing, doing switchly and, um, there's something so amazingly gratifying about that move. I don't even know how to describe it. There's just something. It's oh, just, yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it just like snaps. <laughs> yeah. There's just, I mean, because it's more than just jumping. You're doing something in the air that's like fast. And and I mean, if you do it well, it looks like you're kind of levitating. That I mean, that, yeah. that's a really fun one. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I need to work on those again. Well, so backing up a giant part to our, our conversation. Um, so... In terms of like the getting stronger and the setting those goals and always trying to improve a little bit each time, which is obviously very important. What else have you discovered about, and let's just transition into the, you know, getting fit, being a fit 50 year old woman. What else have you discovered, if anything, that's changed over the years about how you train based on either injuries or just, you know, things that have changed as you're, as you've gotten older? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, there's a couple important things that we might have to unpack first first. we haven't even talked about like knee and ankle and foot stuff um because there was just as much discovery there um so yeah i think part of the issue i had with having all three of these injuries at once is the shoulders were so much more dramatic that i focused all of my attention and efforts into rehabbing my shoulders and you know an acl surgery on the knee is like a huge reconstruction thing that takes forever to recover and i've done that before and it went great and it was amazing and so this time i was all focused on the shoulders and i don't i don't think i gave my knee the attention that it should have gotten in rehabbing right and so so much of that is not just like i mean you don't focus that much on the knee when you're rehabbing the knee a lot. They usually focus mostly on like hip and glute activation and teaching your knee not to turn inward, but using your glute to turn it outward so that it stays aligned with your second toe. But in this corrective exercise class, I learned so much about the muscles in your foot and ankle and shin and hip that contribute to knee stability. Um, And like, it's, it's a very simple test, this overhead squat test, where you're, you can look at a person while they do squats with their arms straight up by their ears. And based on whether their arms drop or their back arches or their knees turn out, heels come up, any of feet turn out, you can, you can tell pretty quickly which muscles are overdeveloped and which ones are underdeveloped. And so my, my natural, my feet always want to turn out when I do squats. I know how to force them to stay in line, 
but by forcing them to stay in line, I now can feel which muscles are tight that are making me want to turn out. Well, let's um, wait, let's pause on that one because I want to give people mm-hmm. this is an assignment to play with. So, if somebody wants to try and do this is with a little self diagnostic, uh, uh, which mm-hmm. is of course, but walk walk people through what they'll what they do the act the movement and what they want to pay attention to to see mm-hmm. if they're going to find something that's over underdeveloped or not functioning properly. Okay, well, I would I would set up a camera um, yeah. that's going to film you and you're going to do squats straight on. You, you might as well like look up the overhead squat test online um, so that you can, uh, you can see it more accurately than if you're just listening here, but you'll, you want to set up the camera first so that you're not just looking at yourself in the mirror as you right. do these things. You can, you can look at it a few times. So facing the camera, you'll, um, Basically, just put your arms by your head and do a squat. Make sure you get down uh, so that your quads are parallel to the floor and stand back up and do this a few times. Um, And then once you've done it a few times, you turn 90 degrees so you can see it from the side. Do it a few times there. Go to the other side, do it there and turn your back to the camera. Do it a few times there. Um, so you want to look at this and wait, I want to pause when you're doing the mm-hmm. squat. I'm thinking there's kind of mm-hmm. two ways of doing the squat. You've got your arms over your head. You can kind of drop mm-hmm. straight down and keep your torso pretty vertical, or you can really hip mm-hmm. hinge. And then, mm-hmm. you know, it's a different thing. Which should people be thinking about more? So hip hinge for people who don't know, you mm-hmm. want to think about like, if you're standing in front of your toilet, you can, you're sitting back. So your butt is going back before you start going down versus just going sort of straight down like your torso is an elevator. So which one mm-hmm. of these or some variation thereof do people want to be thinking about? You want your torso to stay parallel to your shins. So ah. when you're standing vertical, if yep. this is my torso and these are my shins, which obviously your thighs are in between, as, as your everybody. knees bend, your your shins are going to go forward. Your knees are going to lean forward. Your shins are going to bend, and your upper body should relatively lean in proportion, which means your hips are bending. Correct. Okay. Um, so I, the tricky thing in telling people how to diagnose this is, I don't want to tell them perfect form before they do it, because you want to see what your natural accidental tendencies right. are. Yeah, but if you're self-diagnosing, it's a, no, it's it's just tricky. If you're self-diagnosing then you need to know what to look for. So do it a few times first before you, before you start analyzing it and then maybe film it again from all three of those directions, thinking specifically about are my feet hip width apart? Are my feet feet staying perfectly parallel? Like second toe pointing perfectly forward. Are my knees tracking over my second toe? Am I arching my back? So like if your hips are hinging a ton or if like if your arms are dropping down forward, like you want to be keeping your arms parallel to your torso. So straight line from your hips to your fingertips. Most people, their arms are going to come forward and that's because of tight lats usually. Um, What else? If your heels are coming off the ground. So try to keep your heels on the ground. And if you try to keep your heels on the ground and you feel your feet wanting to turn out, that's going to be a really tight lateral calf and TFL, which is the muscle attached to the IT band. Um, there's a couple other things. Uh, there's, there's so many, and I'm like, I'm restudying this chart. Yeah, learn, I'm, I'm thinking like pick, pick, pick the top three to five things that somebody might notice or be on the lookout for. 
So arms dropping is um, one. What else? Um, uh, yeah, especially if we're focusing on lower body, the big one is, are your knees turning in? Yep. Are your feet turning out? Are your heels coming up? Would be, especially considering this podcast, but focusing on, on <laughs> feet. Okay. Well, that's okay. Those, are, those are huge ones. Okay, so if your knees start to turn in, your knees start to come, come towards each other, what's that indicating that somebody might need to pay attention to? That you need to strengthen your glute medius. Your adductors may be a little too tight, so like the muscles on the inside of your thighs that would pull your legs together. Um, but weak glutes is a, the big one there. And pretty common. Um, very common, very common. A lot of people do this, and it's it's – a strong indicator that you're vulnerable to knee injury. So there was a time I was driving um, to have brunch with some friends. There's a woman running down the street who clearly was an accomplished runner. I mean, you could tell that part, except Mm -hmm. that her knees were practically banging into each other with your step because they turned in so Mm -hmm. much. And all I could think was, you know, you figured out a way to run, but your glutes are out of whack. And I almost wanted to stop and say, how long till your last next injury? I mean, it's yeah. undeniable that if you're doing that, if your knees are really coming in that way when you're walking or running or even squatting, mm-hmm. yeah, you're setting yourself up. And most people have no idea because they've never seen that. I love that the opening, your first instruction, get a camera. Because so many people have... And not the best proprioceptive skills and where they think their body is is different than where it actually is. And the only way you discover this is with video and some humility um, because uh, I remember a guy, he emailed me and he said, uh, there's something wrong with the rubber on your shoes because I wore out the heel. I said, well, you're over. <laughs> You're overstriding and heel striking because that's putting friction in that spot. Yeah. He goes, well, I don't do that. I went, well, I mean, your shoes it, say otherwise. <laughs> yeah. So I said, send me a video. So he sends me a video and um, it took me 20 minutes with him on the on the on Zoom or Skype or whatever we were using of me drawing on the screen till he went, oh, yeah, OK, yeah, that's overstriding and heel striking. And then I swear to God, his mm-hmm. next line was, yeah, but I don't do that. It's like this is a video of you of made you. by you. Yeah. So wow, and, interesting. And, and it was just, it was just very palpable, very powerful for me to see that how long it took for him to see that his body was doing something different than what he thought it was doing. And yeah. that was just incom- incompatible with his self image, which was fascinating. Yeah. That is interesting. The, the big one I'm focusing on right now that like kind of caught me by surprise a couple weeks ago, I was, I was working on some flips and I have this uh, like a, a layout step out yeah. and I was landing right leg first and I was kind of getting a little bit of knee pain. And so I did some hops in the mirror. I had a friend actually point, point out to me. She was like, Hey, you're over pronating on your landings. Whenever you land on one foot, even if I'm just like, jumping off a one foot box or like jumping really high and I land on one foot, I'm over pronating, which is, means I'm collapsing my arch or like turning my foot out and collapsing my arch. Yeah. Um, and so I, I started doing this more often and testing and over pronating is going to basically cause your knee to turn in and right. put pressure on your knee. So it's, I'm, I'm watching this and doing hops in the mirror. And if I jump, if I hop really high and land on that one foot, it is so hard for me not to collapse my arch. And so even though I'm doing these static exercises, raising my arch, and I'm getting pretty strong there, I haven't been doing the dynamic training focusing on that. So I'm doing like 
kind of like I do with my pull-ups where I'm, I'll do like my heaviest weighted pull-up to see how strong I can get. Like what's the heaviest single one where I like compromise form a little to do just what's the heaviest I can do. Yeah. And then I'll do my lighter ones with the cable machine focusing. I do way more reps that way, focusing on perfect form, engaging the right things. And so having that stuff in the middle where I'm doing like all the fun flips and stuff, but not paying attention to the mechanics of my feet, I've been putting a lot of things at risk. So I'm kind of putting my flips, unless it's like a standing back tuck where I'm landing with two feet and it's like, it's a very controlled environment. I'm going back to just doing hops in the mirror and just only go to the height where I can control it. And I'm having to focus so hard on keeping my foot in perfect alignment. If I keep my arch up, my knee wants to turn in. If I keep my knee out, my foot wants to, like, it's so interesting to see. Um, And so when I force it, I feel a stretch in my lateral calf because the tight calf is the thing that's causing my body to want to work around that. Your body will find anytime there's pain, it's going to be like, okay, which direction can I go to avoid this pain? Right. And then you're going to have certain muscles that then are going to atrophy. So the muscle that should be controlling the movement is getting weaker while something else that's making up for that is getting stronger and pulling everything out of balance. So just going through things slowly in the mirror, now that I'm strong in these static situations, now I have to build up into smaller dynamic things and strengthen. So that for me, that's a weak posterior tibialis, I think. Um, this is sort of like when people talk about getting ready for barefoot running. There's a lot of people who tried to yes. make a name for themselves by saying, well, here's what you need to be able to do to be able to run barefoot. And mo- a lot of the people who had those, if you can't do these 10 things, you can't run barefoot. I couldn't do six of them. And, you know, it, it, they were they were just kind of making something up. But mm-hmm. um, there are a lot of people who think, oh, if you just walk barefoot for a while, that's going to prepare you for running. It's like, no, 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 no. The four, I mean, there's a value in walking that's going to build strength mm-hmm. for sure. Research shows as much as doing an exercise program. But that exercise program, like you said, is not the same as the forces you apply when you're running or when you're jumping or when you're you know doing something mm-hmm. that's more aggressive. Oh, yeah. And to notice those things that show up under the extreme version of what you're doing, you know, the far end of the bell curve. That's where things are interesting. You're reminding me, I had um, Dr. Bill Sands, who was the head of biomechanics for the U.S. Olympic Committee. He was given a great uh, human performance facility to use at what's now called um, Colorado Mesa University. And he would film you at 500 frames a second to see what your form was looking like. And I said, why that fast? He goes, because you can't learn anything at anything under 250 which I thought was ridiculous. But what happened when I was um, when he was testing me is my right foot just before it hit the ground was turning out and you only saw mm-hmm. it in the last frame. So if, mm-hmm. if we were shooting at anything under 250 frames a second, wouldn't have been able to see that. And that was the thing he goes, oh, you got a tight hamstring that at full extension is pulling your foot that way. Mm-hmm. And so those little things at the, in those extreme versions. Biceps for Morris. Yeah, yeah, super, <laughs> That's the super, one. <laughs> super interesting. Um, yeah. And, you know, th- what's intriguing to me thinking about this is that there's so few people that you could go see on your own who would know how to diagnose this stuff, let alone mm-hmm. what you could do for yourself to diagnose it for yourself. So doing the overhead squat test is a really interesting one. Yeah. And at some point we'll have to so interesting, and, yeah. Yeah, see what else we can find. That's, yeah. It's for self-diagnosis. I'm working on, I need to put some notes together because the class explains so well, the online course explains so well how to administer the test and then 
gives like it means this is tight this is tight and this is tight mm. but i i always need to see okay if you're saying my tfl is tight and that's pulling my feet out like show me how that connects and like i want to see that pulling and and that's like a gap that i have to put the pieces together myself um, I saw this great video on Instagram of basically a cadaver leg. So you could see all the muscles of like just at the knee. And as the knee is straightening and bending, you could see the IT band where it connects and how that connects. Um, Into the hip. It's, you can see the hip, but I, I was having the hardest time understanding how a tight TFL, tensor fascia latte, the, the muscle that connects to the IT band. The point of the thing is like, you can't roll out your IT band because it's tendon. Well, there's a muscle attached to the tendon. It's just like, you don't want to roll the band. You want to roll that muscle. But I was, I was having a hard time understanding how is this muscle in my hip turning my foot out? And when I saw this, it it doesn't connect to your knee. It connects to your fibula. So some of your hamstrings, two of your hamstrings connect to your, the back of your tibia. The biceps femoris, your other hamstring, connects to the other side to your fibula, and the IT band connects to your fibula. So a tight biceps femoris and IT band are pulling on the fibula, which is attached to your ankle and pulls things out. So if if your two inner hamstrings are weak and your two outer hamstrings are strong, your foot's going to turn out. And then you don't have any support that keeps your knee from turning in. And so it like all the pieces came together just seeing this yeah, yeah. Leg. Well, and there's the flip side, which is you can affect negatively or positively your hip and your glute medius in particular with what your foot is doing, which you could be doing voluntarily or habitually. So that oh, kind of yeah. that kind of thing where you know goes from one end to the other, and or and and you can start on either end is really really intriguing. And so like when people talk to me yeah. about having flat feet, it's one of my favorite things to do. I go stand with your feet on the ground and mm-hmm. just tighten your butt and don't let your feet move and watch what happens and by tightening your butt, it tries to externally rotate everything that goes all the way down to your feet. And suddenly you have a little bit of an arch and everyone's like, mm-hmm. what the hell? It's like, yeah, yeah. You know, your arch issue is a butt issue. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big part of it. Usually I think it's a new tissue, a new t-shirt we need to make your arch issue. <laughs> butt issue. <laughs> it's a, it's a very limited uh, run because very few people will care, but I just like the idea of that. Yeah. But you can arch your back too. I feel like a lot of people are going to misunderstand. Does that also work if you're overarching your back? That's like a hip flexor issue uh, more than a glute. Well, weak uh, glutes. No, if your hip flexors are too tight, yeah, that's going to make you to arch, arch your back. It could be could be performance. So, also. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of things. If you're arching too much, some of, that's a, that's an interesting one. Um, like that that balance between your lower back and things both above it and below it. And then of course the, fr- the flip side, your abs and how that works. That's an, it's an interesting one for me. Cause I have a, um, I've got a grade two L5 S1 spondy. So mm. for people who don't know, that means the, my, my lowest uh, lumbar vertebrae is shift shifted forward 50% from where it's supposed to be. So it's, and, and there's no disc in between, but the really fun part is the part that would hold that disc in place is not attached or sorry, hold that vertebrae in place. It's not attached to the vertebrae. So I have a pars defect for medically inclined people. And so there's nothing I can do to pull that vertebrae back in place. So there's times where a part of my back looks like it's arched simply because I've got a structural issue. 
but, and I've had all these physical therapists say, oh, you need to work on your ab strength. And I go, yeah, put me on any machine and I'll max it out. That's not the problem. So, you know, there's all this, there's all the idiosyncratic um, stuff. Um, yeah. That's crazy too. But, but the fundamental things, I mean, I like that. It's like, as you're doing your overhead squat test, looking to see what you're, what you're doing with your lower back. And I mean, it may be for some of these things that just noticing that it's not an, a non-ideal movement pattern and then just having curiosity to start exploring and seeing what you might need to do to kind of get it into the right position or what you're feeling that feels like it's a little inactive or too active or something. It may be that our little goal of going, oh, when this happens, go take a look at that. There might be like mm-hmm. three or four things you need to take a look at. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that's oh, yeah, very likely. But I, I like I like that's the self-diagnostic cool. aspect. Yeah. And the thing that's so cool about it is there's so much pain you can have in your body that feels like it's just this is how things are now yeah but it can actually be fixed with like some strengthening and stretching exercises there are so many things that can be solved like like literally fixed or at at worst like can still be prevented from getting worse you know by strengthening and stretching I, I think the strengthening one is highly overlooked. I think people are much more attuned to the idea of, hey, let's stretch something. But in mm-hmm. my experience, I'm imagining yours as well. The strengthening has a bigger impact. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. It's There's another part that's sort of an emotional component that is interesting to me lately. I'll share this one. I'll get a little too personal. So um, I went and got a massage on Saturday and... As is often the case, my upper back and neck is a little, you know, is tight. And um, sometimes my upper back's a little tight because of my lower back issue where my upper back is trying to compensate, blah, blah, blah. But I had a, I had an annoying flashback. There's a guy that I, w- I was introduced to about almost 30 years ago who was doing, wanted to do research on stress. And he figured, let's not do the emotional part. Let's just look at physical stress. And so he uh, developed a drug or he modified a drug that he would inject into the muscle spindle fiber, which is the part of the muscle that actually triggers the contraction. And it would it would deactivate the muscle spindle fiber. So you couldn't contract the muscles around it. And he was just using this to kind of I mean, I don't even know if he knew what he was doing at the time. But what he discovered is he decided to inject people in their upper back and neck or in their traps and upper back because that's where the muscle spindle fibers are the largest. And what he found, much to his surprise, and overactive, correct, and often very overactive. Mm-hmm. And what he found is that um, when he did this with people and made it so they couldn't tense their back, upper back, or neck, is that they reported feeling lighter emotionally, like they were angry about something, and now they weren't. Mm. And he came to the conclusion that if you're feeling tension in those spots, you're probably angry about something. And the thing you need to do is figure out what that is and address that. So I'm getting this massage and this woman is talking about how tight my back is. And for the first time I went, shit, I wonder what I'm angry about. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm going to start crying thinking about it. I mean, all I, and the only thing I could think of in addition, just the stress of running a business, but it's like, it occurred to me, you know, on a daily basis, when someone is driving under the speed limit in front of me, I would like to have a weapon. (laughs) <laughs> and and I've and what I've been doing in the meantime, before I had that realization, was anytime someone's driving under the speed limit in front of me, I use that as a cue to remind myself to think of at least three things that I'm genuinely grateful for, Ooh. which makes my upper back relax. And so, Ooh. 
my new mission is to figure this thing out as much as I can, given the situation that I'm in. Um, but, you know, that the emotional component of that is another piece that is interesting and could give some insight into what's going on. And again, I don't say that I don't know if it's one direction or the other, but, you know, usually that that extra piece of the puzzle is not we don't think about. I didn't think about it. And I've been dealing with this yeah. stuff my whole life. Yeah, I don't think about it much either, but I definitely notice that if I get like stressed or angry or irritated, my neck hurts way more for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a whole other component. So, all right. So we <laughs> and relax and pull them down and back. So yeah. let's back up to the thing that I teased everybody with at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and I teased that and I, I said that because I think someone told me that this is one of your new goals is mm-hmm. so do you want to describe what that is and, and how you're moving towards it by starting by saying so the, the goal mm-hmm. being fittest woman at 50 is that it uh the age is not important the the important thing about the age is that that i qualify as a little old lady <laughs> i don't think 50 is gonna do it like i have like 70 would i be ideal but i don't think like it's that's very distant still yeah. So I, it just, it doesn't register as like a goal that I can aim for at the moment, but that's like my ultimate distant, like thing on the mountain to strive for. So the thing I realized is that I'm all about goals. I am so motivated by yeah. goals. If, if you give me a goal that I'm excited about and I latch onto it, like <clears throat> everything like turns on fire and I'm like, I'm going to do this thing. I'm so excited. And, yeah. and I will do like whatever discipline, whatever, whatever steps I have to take to move towards this goal constantly. And I just thrive on every step of that, even if it's hard, every goal I've ever had has been, even if it's long-term, long-term being like four years or something, it's always something that's like, you have to be the hardest worker, like get there fast. You like, it's always every single year in Ninja. It's been like, you have three months to get as strong as you possibly can. You have a couple years to be as strong as the strongest men on this show. It's like reaching an absurd level of strength at the expense of overall balance in my body. Yeah. Try to stay balanced, try to stay healthy as you can, but it is worth sacrificing any of those things to be the strongest and the best this year. And that does not encourage healthy habits. That does not encourage things that will, that will lead to longevity. Now, longevity has never inspired me. It's sort of like, yeah, I'd love to have that, but I'd rather be a world record holder. Do you you know, rather, do you know the, the Olympic, how to describe this? I can't think of how to describe it. I'm just going to ask it. This is a question that someone has asked Olympians for decades. If you could take a drug that would guarantee you won a gold medal, but would also guarantee that you would be dead within five years afterwards, would you take it? So before you answer, guess what percentage of people of Olympians up until very recently said yes? A high percentage? I don't know. Like 80. I, I would have said yes. 80. Yeah. I think for me, like looking at it now, I don't think a gold medal would do it. It would have to be something like have a lasting impact on the world, like inspire people for generations. Like, and for that, yeah. Would I be willing to do that this year and die next year? If I could have that kind of impact. Yeah. I love it. But one, I'm not going to do anything this year. That's going to have that kind of impact. Probably, probably not. Um, Right. Two, 
having that as my goal encourages me to train in a way that is not healthy for me long-term. Right. So I've struggled ever since, ever since uh, my three big injuries in 2020, I've struggled to come up with a goal that would motivate me more toward balance. Like, yes, I want to be healthy. No, I don't want to get injured like that again. So I'm trying to focus on balance, but having that vision of what you want, what you want to aim for, like, how could I have a goal that's not like a blaze of glory, but like a long-term thing, being able to do this for a long time is still just sort of like, yeah, that'd be cool. But it doesn't rival that drive to have that burst of glory. Right. Um, and so I found the answer just a couple weeks ago, looking at what my mom is doing, because like, cool, I kept up with the guys on some obstacle, obstacle courses for a while. But have you ever seen a 70 year old woman doing like laches and obstacle courses? Like if she has a sweater on, you could look at her and be like, Oh, let me help you down the stairs and stuff. And then she like takes off her sweatshirt and she's shredded and she jumps on a bar and does a lache to a cliffhanger. Like it's mind blowing. It's shocking. Like just to look at, but it, it opens up my mind for like, I didn't know you could get stronger after age 60. I didn't right. know you could build muscle. I didn't know you could accomplish these things. I didn't know you could have that freedom of movement at that age. And seeing the way she inspires people who look at her and like, I thought, I thought I had like five years left of this at best. I didn't know that you could keep doing this. It's the way it opens up possibilities for everyone who sees her is something that I want to do. I want to be like that. I want to be that person who's 70 years old, blowing minds and inspiring the world. So having that visual image of someone that I want to be, it is in the distant future. But if I want to be able to be that kind of person, it doesn't mean I have to do bigger things now. It right. means I have to work really hard to find, to strengthen the areas that I'm weak that are pulling me out of balance, making me more likely to get injured. If I get hurt, my chances of being a badass 70 year old are going down. Right. And I want to be that little old lady who can do 50 pull-ups? Like I can't do 50 pull-ups now, but doing 50 pull-ups now isn't going to get me to doing 50 pull-ups then. Right. Doing a balanced set of rows and like engaging my lower traps and doing pull-ups if like, even if they're assisted pull-ups with perfect form, those are the things that are going to get me to badass 70-year-old. <laughs> so now that I have that image of what I want to be, I when I'm deciding am I going to do my hard pull-up sets first or my hard row sets first? Well, I'm more excited about the pull-up sets, but if I prioritize the pull-up sets and then I'm too tired to do like hard sets on my rows, I'm not going to take steps towards being a badass 70 year old. So I guess I'll do the rows first. You, and so find I finally have a goal that, that inspires healthier behavior all around. And do you find that you need to kind of chunk that down? Cause how old are you now? 38. Okay, so you got quite a while till you're 70. So in yeah. my head, um, you know, that. so do you have to start thinking about 40, 45, 50? I mean, how do you keep that in your mind? Or is, is that 70-year-old picture enough that it keeps you going? I think the 70-year-old picture is more dynamic. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's the one. But um, I'd love to get a pull-up related world record at 50. Nice. Like, that would be pretty cool. I, I looked up some pull-up world records and they're not like 
outside the realm of possibility, but they're certainly not something that I could do this year. Right. Um, like I couldn't just try it and be close. I'm like, okay, that's, this is going to take some hard, dedicated, specific work. But if I do that and pace myself and don't overdo it and get injured, then, then I, I think there's a lot that's possible that I didn't realize was possible. So, so now that I have this, I've, I've been doing, you know, all this extra research and studying and everything. And I think I found the key to why I have been so injury prone. I don't like that word, but like I've gotten a lot of injuries at the end of each season. So like I told you, I've, I've been able to build strength extremely quickly and lose it and build it again, extremely quickly and lose it. And so I was reading about, um, read this book called training for climbing by Eric Hurst. And he talks about energy systems, which I think is utilized more often in like, uh, like well, running sports and running. Yeah, yeah. A lot of, a lot of running stuff. Yeah. But he talks about it in terms of climbing and percentage of weight on your fingers. So your, your arms are not as bulky as your legs. You don't have as much space between the muscle fibers for circulation. And so with running, you're hitting and relaxing, hit, you know, you're like you're flexing with hanging from something, your muscles are isometrically contracted and clamping off those capillaries. So if you're holding more than 50% of your maximum strength, all of your capillaries are so clamped off that you're getting zero blood flow and you're immediately anaerobic. Interesting. Immediately. So, so your aerobic system can do nothing to help you in that situation. You're just accumulating hydrogen ions, getting more and more acidic. And that acid will just kind of sit in your muscles and, and weaken things. So, strengthening this lactic energy system will get you really strong really fast you'll see your gains dramatically in they say like he says two to six weeks you'll see huge gains so training hard i was able to get dramatic gains for two months so that's that's kind of where you max Ah. out that system so i was scientifically like to the book doing exactly what he said there but i was only training that energy system right i wasn't training you have to go to very low intensity to train your aerobic system for your grip you've got to be at like 15 to 30 percent of your maximum strength which for me on a cliffhanger like nothing like, like i can't yeah it's very low uh for pull-ups on a bar i can do a pull-up with an extra 80 pounds so what is that well I'm doing on a cable machine, I'm basically doing 12 to 15 pounds per arm, just pulling down, keeping perfect form. It's so light, I barely get a burn, but that's how I know that I'm staying in the aerobic system and not get it. Because as soon as you fill up with acid, that kind of breaks down like the progress you can make in building new mitochondria. So it's hard to train your aerobic system when everything's super acidic. Right. And if I'm doing everything to maximum burnout, I'm also not training that maximum strength. Everything is a percentage of your maximum strength. And so if my maximum strength is staying at 80 pounds for a one rep max, my aerobic system can only get up to like at best, maybe 35% of that. But if I'm not training aerobic system, well, that's still down at like 20%, maybe 25. And so I'm building, I have this huge, this huge range in the lactic system, but it hits this peak. If my max strength isn't increasing, I hit a peak. So if you work on your aerobic system and your max strength system, and then you build that lactic system, 
you can have long-term gains. So there's a, there's building a guy, those too. There's a guy named Steve Holman. There's a guy named Steve Holman. He used to be an editor for some, you know, muscle and fitness kind of magazine. And he's uh-huh. a couple years older than I am. I think he's 63, maybe. Wasn't and he at Tony's um, Paragon? I don't think so. If, okay. That would freak me out if, it, if he was and I didn't notice. Um, but the way he the way he does weight training is your first set is like a set of 20 to 25 reps. And then just right. wait 20 seconds. Then you're going to do a second set that's going to be like 10 to 12 tops. And then maybe. You do a third or switch to a better different exercise for the same muscle group. But the whole but what's interesting is that first set is literally just what you're saying. It's really it's slow twitch. It's it's an aerobic thing that eventually does get your muscles tired, but mm-hmm. it's really all about blood flow. And, and I'm also mm-hmm. having a flashback to working with, um, I had one workout with a guy who's a zero shoes customer, who's a big deal fitness trainer in, in LA. And his whole thing, he kept saying, it's just all about getting the blood moving. We're not trying to, you know, I, I made some comment. I said, I'm hanging out with him and all of his, his trainers were having dinner. And I said, I'm, I'm not trying to get bigger. I'm just trying to, you know, get faster. I'm trying to develop the muscles I need to be faster. And he looked at all the trainers. He goes, did anyone understand a word of what he just said? Because <laughs> their whole thing is, it's about getting bigger. It's about hypertrophy, but mostly by just doing things that are just getting the blood moving, building additional mitochondria so you can do more work over time. And that's going to lead mm-hmm. to hypertrophy. And I just had no interest in hypertrophy, which yeah. you know, the joke for them is that made no sense because who wouldn't? So, and it, it's not totally true because huh. I do have an interest in that. Uh, partly for vanity and partly because mm-hmm. as I'm getting older, having more muscle mass is helpful. So there, so mm-hmm. there's that. But I, I love what you described. If you want to help with your um, fit 70-year-old goal, an, a thing to do is um, go to a master's track meet, ideally nationals or worlds, because mm-hmm. I'm having a flashback to – now, there are a couple of things. Once these people get over 80 or so, uh, they're not, they don't look great, I will admit but they look like someone you still want to be. It's like, you know, they're mm-hmm. high jumping three feet, yeah. but you still want to be that guy or that woman. The, Ooh, the first, yeah. When we were in Finland, there was a guy who was 101. He used his walker to get out to where he was going to do the shot put. At 101, oh. I think I think the weight of the, of the shot was like, you know, five pounds, whatever. Yeah. He goes, and it goes like 10 feet. And the audience goes insane because we oh. all want to be that guy. Yeah. There was a woman who showed up. She was 95. She uh, she entered one race like before she got there, but then felt pretty good and said, can I just enter everything that I want to do? And they went, yeah. Yeah. And she entered like 10 things, won them all. And everyone wanted to be that woman. And so, you know, and I love what you said personally, because my goal as a sprinter is not to win a world championship. It's not to win nationals. I want to like be in the quarterfinals for worlds, maybe semifinals for nationals someday, but I just want to hit the all American times I don't, and they get, okay. you know, they get lot bigger and bigger as you get older. So when I was 55 to 60 or 50, yeah, 55 to 60, something like that, or 55 to 59, there we go. English, um, the 60 meter indoor time to all American was 8.5. I was running eight, two, eight, three. I looked yesterday now that I'm 60, what's the All-American time? It's 8.9. And I'm going, I, I can hit that. I'm hoping I can still hit the one yeah. from, you know, what I was a year ago. And as long as I can keep doing that, then I feel like I've accomplished something. My other one is yeah, going to be harder. Sure. You'll appreciate this one. I don't know when I'm not going to be able to do a standing backflip. 
I want to be able to do that as long as humanly possible. Yeah. What's what's the the record for the oldest person to do a standing back foot? Oh, man, I have no idea. I got to look that one up. It's worth looking up. Yeah. Well, then it's going to be you and me competing for it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. All right. Um, do you know about the um, the 96 year old gymnast? No. You've got to look this lady up. I, I just I found her finally on Instagram. I got to they they did like this TV show. I think it was called the night shift. They, they heard about this real life old lady and then wrote a character based on her. And I got to double the character. So oh. I had to look up the videos of this at the time. I think she was 86 years old doing a parallel bars routine. She's wearing a green velvet leotard, 86 oh, years old. I've seen that. Yeah. Okay. Her name's uh, Johanna. I think. I think you're right. Um, but she like, it's not like a men's parallel bars routine. Right. It's, it's like her own unique thing. And so I had to watch and like learn her moves and stuff and do them on kind of like these physical therapy parallel bars that they use to teach people to walk. And so my mom saw a video of her. She's still like doing floor routines and she's in her nineties and it's just so badass. Uh, like I, I want to highlight more of these things. I'm realizing that's something I should be using my Instagram for right now. Find videos yeah. of older people doing unbelievable things and be like, I'm going to be like that person. Well, again, back to, you know, me, 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 me. Here's the problem that I have as a sprinter at 60. 60 is an age where no one gives a shit. So like if you're, you know, under, if you're under 30 and you're super fast, everyone cares. If you're over 80 and it doesn't matter how fast you are, everyone cares. I'm in the age group where they just, as soon as that race starts, everyone just goes and gets a coffee. They just don't give a shit. <laughs> you're so, training you're training for lady <laughs> yeah i'm training for when when i'm old enough that people care again or or like mm -hmm. here's the crazy thought like if i have say you know if i if i end up with cancer or i have some injury where i lose a leg or whatever the hell it is if there's some you know dramatic whatever thing and i have to come back you know i want that one too <laughs> basically don't hope for that no i'm not hoping for it i'm just like thinking i'm preparing for you know eventualities basically i want to someday run a race where they applaud at the end that's the oh, that's wow. it <laughs> and it's you know and it's either because i'm old enough and i'm like doing well enough or i've overcome some major thing i don't care which i mean i prefer the former but you know i just want to run a race where they care when i'm done <laughs> mm -hmm. i'm a simple man <laughs> how yeah how can we warm people's hearts and inspire them to yeah no, I think I first of all, I think it's a brilliant question and it's a perfect question to wrap this up on is, I mean, I had no idea where we we're going to go off the, off my little intro, but I love this idea of thinking out to some future thing of, you know, who do you want to be 20 years from now? What's it going to take to do that? And, you know, what are the things that are going to make it interesting along the way? Because there's definitely there's definitely those times where, you know, you just don't want to get out of bed and go and do that workout. There's, you know, it's for whatever reason, you know, as we were talking before we started this, there's times where the cold plunge is right next to your hot tub and you're just not going to get in it, even though you want to, or you think it's good for you or whatever it is. There's times where that cold water is just cold water. And for me, I don't know about you. For me, part of it is um, being okay with that too, of just not being, like I always say, if you're not having fun, don't do it because you'll stop. So for me, part of the fun is also playing that edge of like, is this the day where I'm going to take off and enjoy myself? Or is this the day where I feel like I want to take off, but I need to kind of go out and once I get started, I'll be fine. And finding that balance is very interesting for me. Personally. That is hard. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like, yeah. 
a variation on that when I got back into sprinting. It took me probably five years. I, I got back into it when I was 45. It took me five years to learn that when I have the thought, let me just do one more. That's the one to not do. <laughs> really? Yeah. You know, th- that yeah, was I, a 20 year old. I had, um, my best season on Ninja Warrior season eight, I committed to myself at the beginning of the year that anytime I felt a tweak, because I, I have a yes. history of like pushing past, yes. like ignoring things and being like, you'll be fine. Do all your, you said 10 sets, you'll do 10 sets. And so I promised myself that anytime I felt a hint of a tweak, I would stop. And I can't tell you how many times I walked home from the track or the gym crying because I was like, you've gotten lazy. Like, I don't, I don't even know who you are anymore. This isn't you, but like you, like I just, it was killing my soul to, to quit early. And that's the year I broke the most records. That's the year I played second among the men at regional finals. Like it all worked. And so I've realized that my, however, whatever I perceive as like, this is the appropriate amount to do to reach your full potential. Yeah. The actual appropriate amount is somewhere between like a quarter and a third of that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, did did you find yourself reframing that whole thing about, I feel a little tweak, a little twinge of like, it's good news that, you know, now's the thing, now's the time rather than, oh, this is, you know, who do I, I'm the wrong person that I'm not. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like I do, I do kind of miss, there's definitely a point in my life where I identified as the hardest worker. I'm the first one to practice and the last one to leave. And however much coach says to do, I'm doing double that. And that's who I am. And like, I took great pride in that. And so, um, the thing that one of the things that changed my life was, um, I had a friend who told me what's more important to you. Do you want to be the hardest worker or do you want to succeed? Because those were so inherently connected for me my whole life. It was like, well, I want to win, but if I don't win, at least I know I'm the hardest worker. Right. So my perception is that they were assisting each other, but I can always have hardest worker as consolation prize. When I realized insisting on being the hardest worker was preventing me from succeeding, I had to separate them and choose, okay, I want, I want to reach my full potential more than I want to identify as the hardest worker. And so I still have those moments where I like, I miss my old definition as the hardest worker. Like I don't get to claim that anymore because sometimes I get tired and I stop. Well, wait, I'm going to give this one to you. <laughs> your, your goal is to be the smartest worker. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And, it is. That's, that's my goal now. Yeah. I love it. That's a great one. So, okay. So smartest worker, what's coming up for you? Well, I am having so much fun. Like, continuing to read these scientific books on how to exercise more efficiently. I'm making all my own little, like I have a new Venn diagram and like, like bar graphs and stuff to track my data. I've learned how to use Excel spreadsheets at a higher level so that I can compare month to month and see how each energy system is improving. Um, I'm really enjoying like embracing my inner nerd and using it and comparing those things while I work out. Like last night I was doing my, my row sets and, and realizing like, oh, if I do one more pound on these rows, then I've, then I've increased from the previous cycle. And, but I have to get 40 reps of this weight for it to count as this energy system. (laughs) And so 
<laughs> finally feeling that like that real drive on an exercise that I used to neglect because I didn't care about it as much. Um, There's a, um, uh, do you know Brad? I think, I don't know if he's pronounced it Pilon or Pylon, P-I-L-O-N. Have you ever bumped into him? He came, it sounds very familiar. He came up with a thing. I'm, I'll have to get it to you. I can't remember what it's called, but it was basically this whole idea of you doing a little more each time if you're weightlifting. Mm-hmm. There's a certain place where it just doesn't work in that, right. you know, if you're trying, yeah. So if you're going from, you know, from 10 pounds to 15 pounds, that's way too much, but 10 pounds to 11 pounds is enough. I mean, there's like all these things where it doesn't work. And he figured out this very clever bit of math that has to do with the number of reps and the amount of weight. And so by manipulating the number of reps you're doing and the and the weight you're doing, you can be making these tiny, tiny little increases mm-hmm. that are smaller than the amount of weight you could add to add more weight, or smaller than the than mm. adding another rep because another rep is too much if you're using that mm-hmm. certain amount of weight. And it's a very clever thing. I haven't gotten to start playing with it um, in the gym lately, but it's one that makes so much sense about how to just do these tiniest little increments by manipulating weight and reps so that the amount of work you're doing is the smallest amount of more work than what you did last time. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's pretty clever. That sounds fun and satisfying. Yeah. yeah I'll, I'll, def- I'll find it and I'll send it to you. You'll get a kick out of it. Um, and by sending it to you, I'm not giving him $9 because I think that's what I paid to get it. Or that's what you would have to pay if you got it. But suffice to say, so that's a good one. Um, I so will have to get your um, uh, your book list on the things that you're reading that are that are compelling in that regard. That, that'd be a whole lot of fun. Um, so that's a good one. Yeah. So, all right. So um, nerding out and finding out those things. Uh, what else? A- anything where people will have to try to identify whether it's you or an actress that they should be looking for? Let's see. I think, yeah. I mean, Babylon, I think is coming out now. Yeah. I did. I, I worked on that a little. I don't know. I don't know if you'll be able to see me anywhere. I wasn't doubling. I was a, a warrior. <laughs> well, fingers crossed. Look, I, my my uh, my claim to fame is if you watch Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles at the very beginning, there's a scene where they're jumping over a fence to get into somewhere, and that's me, bitches. So, um, yes. so you know, there's like I love that movie. Yeah, so there's like four frames where you know, if you know my profile, you could spot me if you zoom in with a microscope. So. Um, are you are you like one of the background guys jumping over the fence? Like no, I wasn't a background guy. Utility fence, or you're a turtle? No, I, well, I mean, it was it was I wasn't a turtle or or a background. It was I don't I can't remember. This is like 35 years ago, 40 years ago, but um, but suffice it to say, it's like in the first couple of minutes of the movie. I haven't and I haven't even looked for this in ages. Um, but it's but like you're a pedestrian guy. No, or I was or a robber guy, uh, something like I don't even remember. It was I was either a robber guy or a turtle. I don't even know. Um, I, I, I literally don't remember. Uh, so there's someone's so, going over a fence. Okay. okay, look at jumping over a fence. So in Babylon, if people are going to look, what were you doing? You know, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say. Okay, they picked they pick something. Big, this big battle scene. Okay. All right. Um, so yeah, th- this is always a fun one. Who, so who are some of the people you doubled for just so people can go ooh and ah and think about that? Yeah, I'm always nervous to say anything. I, I, I can say I, I got to do a lot of work on Supergirl and Wonder Woman 1984. Okay. Wink, wink. I used to do a lot of stuff on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, tons of different crime shows just getting murdered and, or sometimes being a cop or a, um, I got to do a bunch of stuff on 911 last season, doubling yeah. the character Lucy. 
yeah, most of the stuff last year, I'm just not allowed to say anything All right. about. Okay. So I'm just, <laughs> okay. I don't even mess with it anymore. Well, no, I met, look, um, I, I, I'm not going to mention the famous actor who claims to do his all, all his own stunts and the guy that I know who doubles for him. You know, there, there's a lot of that going around. It's the same actor who claims he's not taking st- or one of the same actors who claims he's not taking steroids where, uh, you, you know, yeah, you are. So there's there's that. <laughs> Um, uh, it, it cracks me up that people try to keep that, that mystique about whether, you know, what they're doing, what they're not doing, what they're taking, what they're not taking. I mean, eh, yeah. come on. It's like, yeah, I'm yeah. sorry. Chicken it's and rice tough. do not get you looking like that. So yeah, that's a whole other thing. It's tricky. Cause I know like you don't want to encourage kids to be taking steroids. Right. But at the same time, you don't want someone like working out for years, trying to achieve what you've achieved and not realizing that you're, using assistance, you know, like to have them getting down on themselves being like, what's wrong with me that I can't do that. Well, you're not taking the same things he's taking. There's, there's a a wonderful book called muscle about a guy who was like an Oxford scholar kind of person who got a job in New York in publishing and felt really intimidated by New York. So he decided to start working out. And so the book goes sort of alternates chapters between his life in the publishing world and what was going on just in his mind and body. And then the next chapter would be his life in the gym and what he learned and steroids were part of it. And it was a really fascinating book because it was an insight into bodybuilding that nobody was talking about then. I mean, I have a friend who's a former, let's just say very, very high level bodybuilder back in the eighties, who to this day will not tell me what he was taking to look the way he looked. He will say, oh, it was all natural. No, you weren't. So anyway, this book, um, it's really saying, here's what happens when you're in the gym. Here's what happens when you've been in the gym and now you're going back to your real life and how these things intersect in ways that are both good and bad. It's It was a... It was a wonderfully insightful and educational and fascinating read um, about exactly that. And I'm sure you know, the way that just would get amplified in Hollywood, I can't even imagine. That's a whole whole other thing. Anyway, mm-hmm. we can go on and on for that for hours and hours, but we'll do that in, in another another chat. Um, Jesse Graff, total, total pleasure as always. Um, I, and literally, I'm thinking of all the things that we didn't even touch on that would be fun to talk about. <laughs> so do that again. Um, if people want to... A, get in touch with you or just follow what you're doing or whatever. Uh, how would they do that? I keep things pretty up to date on my Instagram and Facebook. Uh, the The handle is Jesse Graff Power, J-E-S-S-I-E-G-R-A-F-F-P-W-R. Yeah. You. Yeah. You know, if, you, if you don't drop a couple of vowels, you're nobody these days. You know, I, I wanted just Jesse Graff, uh, but it was taken and... There wasn't enough space for the whole word world, the whole word power. And so I thought maybe Jesse Graf Pow, but yeah. um, I realized that stands for prisoner of war and that would be kind of weird. So yeah. PWR. I keep power. checking in. Someone still has Jesse Graf. So. What's up with that? Who is, how have you not tracked her down? Yeah. Well, um, her name is Jesse, but <laughs> I, I sent her a few messages and was like, Hey, I'll, I would buy this from you. She has a private um, account and she never answered me. So. You know, that's okay. I like power. No, it's good. So just power power on Instagram and Facebook um, and, you know, do follow what's the, what's happening with Ninja stuff. Um, The new season. I I did submit an application for this year. Um, So I'm, but you think they're going to say no to you? I, I don't think that. Um, (laughs) I thought it would be rude not to apply. I think it would, it would be, 
maybe disrespectful to just assume I I didn't apply the past two years because I honestly did not intend to compete. Right. um, And was convinced to compete anyway. I feel like it was not the best choice of mine to compete either of those years. Yeah. Um, But this year, because I am actually intending to compete, I did put in an application. When will Um, you, when will you hear, when will that season begin? I think it's, a fairly safe assumption that we will start shooting it sometime in March and that it will start airing sometime in May. Got it. Well, um, um, and this well, year I'm not letting the pressure to compete encourage me to push harder. I'm going at my own pace to reach my own personal goals. And if that lines up well with the season, awesome. <laughs> well, that's good. And, and in a related note, in terms of people tracking you, um, I know there are times where you show up for events, whether you're competing or teaching. And I can say, as someone who has watched people teach various movement things for almost 50 years, um, you are a master of that. And so if anybody gets oh, a chance. Oh, thank you. Well, you know, you're good at, at doing two things. You're good at knowing what the sort of most important thing to know or learn or do is for some sort of skill. And you're good at figuring out what people can do and modifying things to accommodate them so they can be the best they can be. That's what I've seen. Oh, thank you. That's yeah. that's sort of a new pursuit for me. I've always been working on my own goals. And I've just in the past year started training more other people now that I'm you know confident in my knowledge more. And so yeah. it's really exciting to hear that that is It's a a real thing. So if you, whether you um, have any intention of ever competing this for other people competing uh, in a ninja course or doing a ninja course or competing a ninja warrior, or just want to learn some new movement thing that you never imagined that you might do or could do, um, you know, check out and see where Jesse's going to be. And if you get the opportunity to train with her, it will definitely be something that you will remember forever and enjoy. So take advantage. Thank you. Thank you so much, Stephen. So, and for everyone else, um, thank you all for being here. Again, just as a reminder, go to www.jointhemovementmovement.com. Find all the previous episodes, all the places you can find us. And again, leave a review and a thumbs up and, you know, hit the bell icon on YouTube. You know the drill, how to do all those things. Um, And if you have any recommendations or comments or criticism or anything, I don't care. I'm open. You can drop me an email at move, M-O-V-E, at jointhemovementmovement.com. And most importantly, just go out, have fun, and live life feet first.